Stay tuned for a conversation with State Representative Jeffrey Roy coming up next on Chapters. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Chapters. My name is Jim Derrick, and today in studio, I have my friend, State Representative Jeffrey Roy. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, I, I love the development of your radio voice. Uh, from back in the first show you had, wow, you That's sound right. fantastic. Well, I, I tell you, since I signed my new contract, I now feel like it's incumbent upon me to bring the pipes. Isn't but, it amazing when you get a million listeners, what happens? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Hey, but uh, importantly, we do have listeners um, that are constituents of yours, and I know... Many, if not all, of those listeners join me in congratulating you on winning the election on November 6th. It was a great event at the Rome to celebrate your uh, election success. I happened to be there that night. A lot of support and a lot of happy people at the Rome. Yeah, and particularly, I can know one who was extremely happy at that in- entire event. But yeah. uh, thank you very much. It was uh, it was a great feeling, and uh, I am so pleased that the uh, community is going to give me uh, an opportunity to spend two more years uh, representing them and being their voice uh, on Beacon Hill. Yeah. Well, you certainly earned it, Jeff. And, and um, for the listeners, I'd like to just explain how I met Jeff. June 30th of 2015... I met Jeff Roy at the first meeting of what was to become the SAFE Coalition. And uh, I had never met Jeff in the past. I'd seen him around town because, of course, he served for nine years on our school committee and also for a full term as town councilor. Uh, And I knew that he was our state representative. But on that evening, we had an incredible meeting. Uh, As I said, it was the first of what would become the SAFE Coalition. It was in response to some really tragic events around Young people were losing to overdoses in our community. And I got I got to ride shotgun with Jeff as he began that coalition. And as I told people publicly, and I've told Jeff many times, I've never seen anybody work harder on an issue with more commitment. And as a result, we now have a coalition that quite literally has changed the landscape for the opioid and substance use epidemic in our communities, Jeff. Right. And, and you know, it's amazing to me that um, three years ago, Uh, This was a community that had no resources, no places for folks who were confronting this disease, Mm -hmm. nowhere for them to turn to. And in a short period of time, we now have a robust series of resources available, support groups, telephone numbers. People are talking about the disease, and they are recognizing that it is indeed a disease. So the dialogue has changed and the availability of supports and people that they can turn to for assistance and guidance in what to do to navigate the, uh, the path to its recovery. Mm-hmm. And to see those things development, and, and you and Jen mm-hmm. have devoted your lives and attention, compassion, and, and passion for this movement and have really transformed uh, this community. So mm. I'm glad uh, that you took that U-turn on June 30th of 2015. Quite literally. Got yourself 
to the Franklin High Auditorium, and that was the first night I had met you. And uh, you've not only become a great community leader, but you've become a true friend. Thank you, Jeff. And the feelings mutual. And Jennifer Knight uh, was the founder of the Safe Coalition. Literally, she was ground zero. Sent Jeffrey an email, which he has to this day, and got the thing off the ground. And um, again, that was my entry into into. I would guess it would be your Hoover Dam speech, which is how governments can literally tame rivers. And it's a speech that I happen to like, although I do poke fun at you because you, I know when you're pulling it out uh, where we're headed. But it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an issue where uh, government and the private sector and citizens all came together to form a coalition to tackle our nation's number one health epidemic locally, which is substance use disorder. And it's been very, very gratifying to be a part of that. But you also do a lot of other things uh, at the State House. Jeff is also among, uh, among his many committee roles, acting chair of the Joint Committee on Healthcare Financing. He is uh, on the Joint Committee of Mental Health, Substance Use, and Recovery Committee. Is yes. that correct? Yes, it is. You are the House Chair for the Manufacturing Caucus, and you're also on the NCSL Student-Centered Learning Commission. Jeff, in your role as the acting chair of the Joint Committee on Healthcare financing. What what exactly does that committee do? Well, uh, healthcare in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts comprises forty three percent of the state budget. So this committee, uh, in effect, oversees all of the uh, healthcare finance issues throughout the Commonwealth. That can be um, Mass Health. That can be. Medicare issues, working with the federal government on health care for uh, people of limited means and uh, elderly persons. It can mean working with uh, commercial health insurers to uh, establish um, guardrails mm. for implementation of a health care system. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be in the area of telemedicine, mm -hmm. digital health, electronic medical records. Uh, it runs the gamut of, uh, of all of the topics that you can think of that would deal with health care and health insurance uh, is handled by that uh, particular committee. Why don't I use that for a segue, Jeff, because I know one of your legislative priorities for uh, Massachusetts and for your role for your constituents is working on health care. Uh, and I know that that was a stated uh, priority of yours. Where do you see health care going in the next several years? What are the major priorities right now? Well, um, our stated goals are to increase access to medical care mm -hmm. and try to reduce costs. Um, Massachusetts is one of the top states in the nation in the delivery of health care and innovation in the health care arena. And uh, we are looked upon as a model state for legislation involving health care. Uh, we're not complacent in that role mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. uh, we understand uh, that we are one of the most expensive states mm -hmm. for health care. Mm -hmm. So uh, we always want to increase access to care, get more people uh, adequate treatment. But we also know that we have to do this in a fiscally prudent manner. So those sometimes um, run a collision course against one another, and it's up to us to try to devise ways that people can get healthy. And that's the whole goal uh, of our health care system. And uh, I don't know how many people realize this, but medicine is probably 
the youngest science mm-hmm. that we have. In fact, uh, if you looked in a doctor's bag from 100 years ago, the one thing that they would carry in that bag was morphine mm. because healthcare consisted of trying to alleviate pain and discomfort sure. 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And in the course of the last 100 years, we've made great strides in not only relieving pain, but we now have ways to cure illnesses, mend people, and, and develop uh, drugs and treatments that can actually enhance people's lives mm-hmm. and uh, cure illnesses. Right. These are things that didn't exist 100 years ago. So with the changes, uh, it certainly has led to a lot greater expense in the healthcare arena. And uh, those are the issues that we grapple with yeah. uh, today. Jeff, if I could just ask you, what, what on a national basis, we have looked at the uh, repeal of Obamacare. And we've looked at attempts to privatize, uh, go back to some ways that we tried in the past. I used to be in the business. I remember the times when s- states didn't have borders as, as like they do now. Indemnity plans were very common. Uh, catastrophic plans were common. People could, it was almost the Wild West. You could sell insurance that covered people on Tuesdays and Thursdays and excluded on other days of the week. I mean, I'm only being a little bit, uh, exaggerating a little bit. It was pretty bad. Since that time, we've gone, we've really whittled it down to, you know, what's starting to look like government health care, a single payer system, that type of thing. In your opinion, what is the peril, if any, of, of, uh, of overturning Obamacare? Well, I, I, one thing I can say with the election in 2018 and uh, uh, the Democrats taking control right. of the House I don't think we're going to hear much along those lines anymore. What's the effect of uh, repeal of Obamacare? Well, think of all of the um, parents who have children who are on their health care plans to age 26. Do you think that's a good idea? Most people I talk to say that's a good idea. In this day and age, absolutely. Kids come out of college, they come home, they're floundering, trying to find what they want to do. Um, it's a wonderful idea. And, and I hear people say, oh, no, no, we, we like that part. I said, well, that's part of Obamacare. Coverage for pre-existing conditions. Do you think that's a good idea? Absolutely. You don't want to uh, leave a job and, and go to another job and sign up for a health care policy and learn, oh, you had this particular disease. You're not going to be covered under this policy. Right. That's another key component of Obamacare, and people say, oh, I, I like that. I want to keep that. And, and I could go on and on with these lists of, of items that are important and, and integral to that bill that people have become used to and do not want to lose it. Right. Uh, Massachusetts led the way in this effort in requiring people to have insurance coverage, and that was our 2006 bill uh, and, and as a result of that effort, it's up to around 97, 98% of the people in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts have health insurance mm-hmm. coverage. Mm-hmm. And how can you possibly enjoy the liberties of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness if you don't have your health? Right. And health insurance is a way for you to preserve your health and enjoy your life. And um, I think... People have recognized the benefits of having, uh, you know, universal 
health coverage. I agree. And, uh, you know, that's something we're trying to do um, as a nation. And mm-hmm. once again, Massachusetts led the way. And if you look at Obamacare, it's really uh, taking the great pieces of the Massachusetts healthcare system and doing it on a national basis. Mm-hmm. So, I just uh, want to take a minute to remind everybody, we're speaking with State Representative Jeffrey Roy, who is just entering his fourth term as the 10th District in Norfolk County State Representative. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, ChaptersRadio.com. You know, one of the things that uh, we were striving to do, and and it really has come to fruition here in Massachusetts, is to make health care and health insurance affordable Mm -hmm. to uh, folks and available to folks. Um, I'm not sure how many folks are aware, but we have the Health Connector right. in Massachusetts. It happens to be open enrollment season, so uh, I encourage people to uh, look online at the Health Connector site and uh, go through your uh, uh, whatever process it is to make sure that you can stay covered. Um, we've we've uh, furthered that by offering the Health Connector for business. So if you're in a business that has two employees up to 50 employees, Massachusetts has actually got the perfect uh, package for you. You can uh, sign up with the Blue Crosses, the Harvard Pilgrims, the Tufts, the top insurance companies in Massachusetts are now available to you as a small business owner through the Health Connector, which is the Commonwealth's uh, uh, insurance system. And you can do your uh, application online, and I, I believe it takes like 30 minutes, right. and get health insurance right. that you can offer a gold plan, a premium plan, a platinum plan, a silver plan, all levels that you can get uh, to offer to your employees. Um, I was talking to a couple of uh, small business owners here in Franklin who were struggling with uh, some of the assessments that uh, were uh, passed down uh, for People or employers whose employees were part of the Mass Health system. Mm-hmm. They say, "Well, we're getting assessments because our, our employees are on Mass Health." Yeah. And I introduced them to the Health Connector for Business, which they had no idea existed. Now they can offer some premium products to their employees at a lower cost and offer a benefit that their competitors are not offering. How many part-time right. employees who work in these small businesses? can say that they've been offered a comprehensive health care package. Right. That's another step that we've taken to to uh, enhance coverage opportunities for people. So who's who's underwriting people. in the uh, connector? Who, in, who's providing those policies? Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Tufts, the standard all, all, coverage? All the, t- all the top players. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it's a centralized site where it's people can, can offer a cafeteria-type setting. Right. You can go in and you say, okay, my company wants to pay 50% of the health care benefits. We want to know what it's going to cost. And if our employees want to get something a little better that covers a little more and it's a platinum package, they have the opportunity to kick in a little bit more. But the employer's share stays the same. Mm -hmm. And the employee has some skin in the game. So this is is a site that's, that's run by the state. Yes. the Commonwealth, to assist businesses yes. in making these purchases. And I can tell you as a former agent, uh, those days were painstaking sitting in front of a, a company while they tried to understand the print that was in front of them from the various carriers and disseminate all that. And as costs went up and frustration levels went up, frankly, being an agent became very 
uh, very dissatisfactory for me. Uh, this is gold for businesses, yeah. quite and it, frankly. And, and we're actually, we opened it up to agents yeah. so that they right. can offer it right. to I'm their folks as well. Yeah. So it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a win-win Good. Uh, situation. Good example of, of government assisting businesses in a, in a difficult environment. Jeff, while we're on business, um, the, the subject of business and economic development, that's a another big priority for you. You are the chair of the House Manufacturing Caucus, and I know that your thrust is really economic development here in for your constituents right here in Franklin and Medway. Um, Indeed. What what goes on at the Manufacturing Caucus? Well, first of all, let me tell you what a, what a caucus is. So mm -hmm. a caucus is a group of legislators who might be interested uh, in a particular topic. Um, manufacturing is something that uh, was vital to the Massachusetts economy mm -hmm. 100 years ago. We were uh, leaders in the, in the nation in manufacturing, but I think what you have seen, if you go around to many of the communities, the Lawrences, the Lowells, the Worcesters, yeah. the, the Pittsfield, you've mm -hmm. seen that the old type of manufacturing is gone, right. and a lot of these mills have closed. But today, and you know, my grandfather was uh, worked in the Whiten Machine Works out in Linwood. Uh, those buildings are still there, but they've been repurposed. Mm -hmm. um, and he worked in a dusty, dirty grimy, loud uh, factory that actually cost him his hearing, mm -hmm. and it was a dangerous place to work. Sure. And uh, today, robots are doing much of the work that we had people doing 100 years ago, uh, assembling devices or, or, or manufacturing uh, components and pieces. Robots are doing that work mm -hmm. today. What we need are people who can talk to those robots yep. and tell them what they need to do. And it's uh, this whole um, uh, area called advanced manufacturing. And what we've also observed is that uh, manufacturers want their manufacturing and the innovators from these manufacturing companies want to see their products in, uh, in production mm -hmm. close to where they're doing their innovating. So keep uh, look at Massachusetts, for example. We've got MIT and Harvard and Worcester Polytech and, the, and UMass Lowell, which are breeding grounds, and, and I'll, I'll, let's also throw Cambridge in there, which are breeding grounds for some of the greatest innovations uh, that we've ever seen. They used to, it used to be you'd do your innovation, you'd do your design, and then you'd ship it over to China, and then they would manufacture it and then send the products back, and uh, you'd have your, uh, your product to go to market. And I think what people have seen is uh, sometimes they need to make changes on the manufacturing floor. So that involves getting in a plane, flying over to China, uh, uh, trying to find where the manufacturing plant is, trying to get over there. Uh, I've heard some of the experiences there. Uh, it ends up being a two- to a three-week trip, mm -hmm. and uh, it really slows down your production. Yep. So these folks have said, we want to bring our innovators onto the factory floors. We want those factories to be within an hour or so of our innovation plant because it's very important that you get your product to market a lot faster. Sure. And Massachusetts was primed with the ecosystem that we have in place to be the spot where all of that could happen. 
So we've seen a renaissance of manufacturing in Massachusetts. Not the old stuff that uh, we saw 100 years ago, but this advanced manufacturing. And it's growing by leaps and bounds throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And what we are trying to do in the legislature is to harness that renaissance and provide uh, funding uh, for uh, companies who want to establish here. Uh, The biggest things we've heard about is that uh, we have jobs, but we lack a skilled workforce. Right. So we've been working over the past couple of years to uh, put together training programs to uh, get people the skill set that they need to walk into these jobs. We're uh, retooling our vocational schools and institutions. We're opening other training centers to develop a workforce. And people on the outside see our commitment and our infrastructure here Mm -hmm. and know that Massachusetts is committed to manufacturing and have seen so many new companies come in here. As a matter of fact, uh, just last week, uh, I was uh, part of the announcement where a manufacturer is moving into Medway, Massachusetts to set up their uh, headquarters in that community. There's going to be 128 new jobs, and it's going to be a real boost uh, for this area of the Commonwealth. And that's and that's the boots on the ground proof of, of why you want a state representative that, that has their ear to the ground is involved with a caucus like this, because I assume... Uh, well, I don't assume, I know that you are advocating for your constituents throughout this entire process and seeing how these uh, plants and these manufacturing facilities and the educational facilities that are going to support them with jobs, how that can plug in back here in your district. Um, I'm curious about a couple of things. You mentioned funding. Where does that funding come from and in what form to companies to help uh, attract them? Well, we have the state budget, and when we do the uh, state budget, uh, part of the funds that we'll set aside uh, aside could be workforce development funds. I know that uh, I advocate annually for uh, the Massachusetts Manufacturing Extension Partnership, Mm -hmm. which provides support services to uh, manufacturers throughout the Commonwealth of okay. Massachusetts. Yep. They'll go in and teach principles of lean manufacturing. They'll they'll try to take you from a 100-year-old manufacturing plant to say, hey, you need to engage in these types of processes and update your uh, production capabilities to move into the new generation of manufacturing. So uh, we support that organization, which provides supports. Uh, and, and workforce training mm-hmm. uh, in the form of subsidies for um, employers to send their employees to training. We'll offer tax credits for them Mm -hmm. uh, if they will send their employees to training. Uh, And uh, we do grants for equipment uh, for the vocational schools. Now, I'll give you a perfect example. In our neck of the woods, Tri-County uh, Regional Vocational Technical High School did away with its manufacturing program 10 years ago. Uh, we did a series of roundtables at the school and talked to them about um, manufacturers and employers' needs. We actually brought the employers there so that they wow. could sit at the table with yeah. state government officials, local government officials, uh, administrators from the school, teachers from the school, and have a conversation at a table together about their needs and uh, how can we fulfill that need and uh, Tri-County has been the recipient of several hundred thousand dollars worth of grants to bring in equipment into that school. And uh, this fall, 
they opened up a center for manufacturing excellence, which is catering to the students in the school during the day and underemployed adults who come in after the students leave in the afternoon and the, uh, in the evenings. We're meeting the needs that uh, have been identified by uh, companies throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and that's just one small example of how we're doing it. What a great example, Jeff, and that's happening right here under my nose, and I didn't realize it. Um, great partnership with Tri-County. Curious, uh, where, do we, where do we rank nationally in advanced uh, manufacturing, Massachusetts? We are poised to be the number one state in the United States for wow. manufacturing. And uh, if we're not there yet, we'll be there in a short period of time. It's incredible. Um, I Again, I didn't realize that. And, um, you know, you hear about things like Evergreen Solar, which is a company my wife used to work for when uh, uh, Governor Patrick uh, offered them a tax break and they were, they were working. The, jo- the jobs wind up going, you know, over to China. That example keeps being brought up. But I always, I often think to myself, how many other companies are out there that are still here, still employing people, still growing, still expanding right here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts that we're missing? And so that's a really important point. And we're poised to be number one. Another area that we're poised to be number one in is education. I believe we're there. But before we go into education, I want to remind everybody we're speaking with State Representative Jeffrey Roy. Jeff is just entering his fourth term, having won his reelection on November 6th. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, Chapters radio.com. Jeff, education is something you're tremendously passionate about. Um, As I just mentioned, I believe Massachusetts is leading the way nationally in terms of the quality of education and the output that we have here. Am I correct? Well, you you are correct, but I'm going to tell you that not only are we leading the way nationally, uh, Massachusetts has been number one in all education statistics since they've been taking them. Uh, You know, we have tremendous uh, progress by the students uh, in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts as compared with the rest of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2015, the folks from Massachusetts said, well, we understand where we are in the nation. We want to get a better understanding of where we are in the world. Mm -hmm. So they have these uh, NAEP tests that they administer every three years, and Massachusetts uh, uh, convinced the officials to allow the, uh, Massachusetts to compete as if it were a nation. Its own country. Its own country. So we competed against 72 other nations. And I can tell you, after those tests, no nation outdid Massachusetts in reading. One nation outdid Massachusetts in science, and that was Singapore. And Massachusetts ranked 10th in mathematics throughout the world. That's pretty impressive for Uh, a small state like Massachusetts, but it gives you an example of where we are on the world stage. Yeah, you hear so much criticism about teachers having to to teach to standardized testing, and that's been a drum that's being beat for a long time. And frankly, I don't know enough about our education curriculum to know, uh, to be able to talk about that, but uh, what you just, the statistics you just cited are pretty darn impressive, uh, to say the least, to say the least. Um, I know that you're advocating to bring money back for our district. What, is, what does the funding look like for Franklin and Medway right now well, from right, an education standpoint? Fr- from an education standpoint, uh, Massachusetts, the state, uh, contributes over $28 million mm-hmm. in Chapter 70 money. Uh, and uh, I believe the school budget is uh, has gone north of $60 million. So mm-hmm. uh, just under 50% of the school budget for the town of Franklin uh, is 
covered by Chapter 70 funds. In, in Medway, which is the smallest school system, uh, the Chapter 70 funds are around $11 million. Mm-hmm. So it's a substantial part of the funding for the, for the Medway schools. In addition to that, we, uh, we try to get uh, some earmarks for specific programs that uh, each of the school systems uh, may be interested. They can't uh, get local funding for, so uh, we'll try to squeeze something into the state budget to uh, give them uh, a leg up in those areas. I know uh, Medway has a, a very active Thrive program right. dealing with mental health and mm-hmm. substance use issues yep. there. Um, you know, we've provided money for the uh, Safe Coalition yes. in the past couple of years, and uh, we were talking at the Substance Use Tax Force. Uh, at uh, for the Franklin School System about doing some sort of earmarked funding for right. that particular program. So you know, we, we, there's a, a, a range of folks. I, I actually was meeting with some of the um, some of the teachers from the Franklin Arts Academy the other night, and they wanted to create a, a makerspace in Franklin High, but they were having issues with funding for ventilation and equipment for that facility. So I said, well, let's uh, let's talk more about that and see if we can't get uh, an EMAC in the state budget to make mm-hmm. that happen. Mm-hmm. Because these are, you know, um, when I look at the job and the work that we do in government, uh, I think education is probably the most important thing that we do uh, in government work, and that's preparing the next generation to be good leaders, uh, to be good voters, and to be good citizens. So education is uh, is very key, and I always say everywhere I go, um, if you're going to do education right, uh, you ought to do it in the birthplace of Horace Mann, who's <laughs> the father of public education, yes. and, and yeah. that's the community we have. So yeah. from the very beginning of Franklin as a town, we believed in the power of education, and, and Horace Mann, who was born here, was probably the greatest voice for public education in America mm. and in the world. Mm. And uh, I always say, if we, if there, any place has to do it right, it's right here. It's such an important part of your job, bringing money back to this district. I mean, that's basically item 1A on your job description, if not number one. And you do it really, really well. And I can speak as someone uh, whose organization benefited from a grant that Jeff brought back, the SAFE Coalition. Jeff was integrally involved with the mission. He was a founder. But importantly, in his role as state rep, he went out and identified funds that could be available to us in the form of a grant. We've we've received $100,000 uh, of money so far. I expect we'll receive more in the future. This is really what you do, though. You're, you're out with your ear to the ground seeing what people's needs are and then seeing how you can locate funds that might be available. I mean, it's, the whole idea is we want to make and keep our communities great places to live, work, and raise families. Right. That's really what it's all about. Uh, we do some things on, on the state level that uh, provide, uh, you know, um, uh, an education uh, structure, a health care structure, a criminal justice structure, on and on. But sometimes in our local communities, uh, there are little extra pieces that we can do that may help our particular community that some other community may not need or may not want. Mm-hmm. And I think the uh, the Speaker of the House certainly says to us repeatedly, you folks know your districts 
the best. You know the needs of your districts. Communicate that to me, and let's uh, let's form a budget that meets the needs of the Commonwealth as a whole, but each of the individual districts as well. I mean, I think you brought a million dollars in for the SNET trail. Am I wrong about that's, that? That's correct. That's yeah. in the environmental bond bill. Right. And, uh, you know, Another think of good that. Another good example. Uh, think of that. Some people say, well, why do we need uh, that type of, uh, uh, right. of, a, of a place? They say, well, it's a recreational opportunity. Uh, it's an economic development opportunity. If we can get an active trail that has a lot of users, mm-hmm. businesses could form along the trail that could uh, reap the benefits of people out engaging in physical activity. And I also say, you know, as the vice chair of uh, healthcare finance, one of the most important things we can do to lower health care costs is get people healthy. Yeah. And how do you get people healthy? You get them out moving, engaging in activities and, and having a trail that people can use to walk, bike, run, ride a horse, whatever activity you want to engage in. It gets you outside, breathing fresh air. It gets your body moving. Uh, so it contributes in so many ways. And it enhances your community. Absolutely. Because where do people want to live? They want to live in a place that has robust opportunities for its citizens. You just took the words out of my mouth. There's a reason why housing units are going up all around Forge Park, and there's units going in uh, in downtown Franklin. Franklin's never looked better, in my opinion. I've lived here since 1986, so that makes me far from a townie. But I'll tell you what, it's a fantastic community to live in, and without things, like you said, like the SNET Trail, like the YMCA, like other other organizations that exist to provide us with a high quality of living, people aren't going to come here. Yeah, great it's, school it's simple. system. Absolutely. You've got uh, Brand great access to transportation. Mm-hmm. 495 has two exits. Yep. You have two commuter rail stops, mm-hmm. so you have easy access into the city of Boston. Yep. You're about 30 minutes from Providence, about 40 minutes from Worcester, and about 50 minutes from the city of Boston. It's, it's has everything. fantastic. A um, couple of things I wanted to ask you about, and then I'm going to let you go because you are kind and generous in giving us your time today. He's off to another interview right after this. Um, first of all, global warming and climate change. I was shocked to see on CNN, uh, and I, I don't believe CNN's fake news. I, <laughs> I beg to differ. Uh, with, I <laughs> they saw, say the chapter's radio is fake Well, news. I know, that and that I can't deny, but <laughs> <laughs> I do the best I can. But I saw a, a uh, credible scientists are looking at spraying aerosol in the atmosphere to dim the sun. Did you happen to see that article? Uh, you shared it with me. I did. I, 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 I remember when you were telling me about it, I said, I can't believe. Yeah. Now, uh, at this, this point, be, again, it's it's yeah. a far-fetched idea where they, well, even the scientists will admit this is just an idea. They're sort of percolating. But the thought that thought leaders, scientists, feel that compelled to start drafting up plans to dim the sun frightens me. So, boils down to locally, Jeff, what are we doing in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to fight environmental climate change? Well, um, I'm one who dry, happens to drive an electric car. Right. And uh, both at the federal and the state level, mm-hmm. we've been offering incentives for uh, production of electric vehicles. 
and for the sale of electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something we're certainly encouraging. We're uh, looking at alternative um, alternatives to oil and gas and, and all of the incentives we have offered for people to convert to solar energy right. and harness the sun uh, to power their homes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're looking at all ways uh, to um, improve, uh, improve the environment through alternative methods of powering uh, folks. What, what we really need to do is we need to come up with a way to harness that solar energy and store it. Um, you, you know, you are, in addition to solar, you see uh, wind, windmills. Yes. Um, I think the, the best example that I can think of um, are the sisters um, and, the, and the nuns uh, in Rentham yes. that power the chocolate factory using a combination of windmills, solar fields, and geothermal technology underground. Uh, they require no other source other than those. And uh, believe it or not, the excess energy that is produced from their solar field powers all of the town's facilities, public buildings, uh, are powered from the excess energy that is purchased from uh, the sisters. I think it's Mount Abbey. Yeah, right, so, right. Uh, Up by the Big Apple, yeah. Right. And yeah. When you enjoy a piece of that chocolate, think sure. of... Uh, how they've preserved the environment and the production of that chocolate yep. and how they're actually helping to power your buildings in the community. So these are the types of steps mm -hmm. that we're taking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I signed on to a piece of legislation that uh, um, would have Massachusetts be uh, powered on 100% renewable energy uh, within the next 30 years. Mm -hmm. uh, we, didn't, uh, we didn't get that legislation passed, but... You know, a bill is a conversation starter. Right. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue uh, these conversations moving forward because we need to in order to save the planet and to, you know, have a habitable place for our children and our children's children and their children's children. Right. And at one point you were you wrote a, a really good uh, editorial or op-ed on the uh, on the uh, uh tunnel going connecting the south station to, to north station um and that what is the status of that uh, well right now it made so much sense as i read that today you know something uh one of it. the other pieces that i think is important to protecting the environment is to uh have people use public transportation mm -hmm. and the commuter rail system is an important piece of that but we need reliable service and efficient service one of the things that uh, about Massachusetts is that we have two separate transit systems. Right. One on the north side and one on the south side. Try getting from so, one to the other. Right. So if I Uber. wanted to go yeah. from Franklin to Gloucester, um, I would have to get out at South yep. Station, find my way over to North Station, and it happens to be get, catching a red line train up to the green line and then catching a green line over to North Station and then uh, waiting for a train at North Station to take me up to Gloucester. What the North-South rail link would do would be to connect North Station and South Station with a track or two or three or four tracks so that no one has to stop at South Station and right. no one has to stop at North Station. You'll go straight through. Uh, think of somebody who wanted to go from Washington, D.C. to Portland, Maine. Exactly. We, we do not have 
that particular connection. And, uh, you know, I believe and many people believe that that would uh, increase the reliability of the commuter rail service because you wouldn't have any backing up at uh, South Station or North Station. You'd just have continuous uh, uh, rides and it would just be a stop like any other stop along right. the way. Right. Uh, the status of it is that uh, Governor Baker uh, had done uh, his cost analysis mm-hmm. and came up with a, a figure that we believe is, is wholly inflated and not realistic. Um, we have had an estimate done of, of $3 billion to build that tunnel using today's technology. The governor's estimate is uh, it's north of $10 billion. Wow, wow that's we, a huge discrepancy. Right, and wow. we do not believe that's, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that's accurate. What they're talking about is expanding South Station and expanding North Station. I saw that. Which we think uh, is ridiculous. Why spend $2 billion to expand those when for an additional billion you can get a tunnel and not only do you get a tunnel, but you preserve land in the South uh, Station area that can be used for commercial development and build a tower on that South Station property and derive rents from the use of that, which will we'll pay for the tunnel. Makes total sense. And I believe the tunnel would be less than three miles, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Right? So, I mean, it made a lot of sense to me. You mentioned Washington, D.C. My son lives in D.C. And I'll tell you what, he sold his car. He hasn't had a car for five years. He's been down there relying on public transportation. He works for the uh, Veterans Administration, for the Inspector General. And he and his wife get around the city fine. It is seamless down there. It really is. Uh, very few delays. And that's something else that you've worked on very hard, I know, is working directly with the MBTA and our commuter rail that goes comes out here to Franklin and Forge Park um, in in working on the delays, on the on the fare increases, the parking increases. How, how did that turn out, Jeff, with the MBTA? Uh, I'm not happy. We still have right. an unreliable line. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still have delays. Um, I have another meeting coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks where we're going to sit with these officials and say, look it, you need to take transportation seriously. Moving people across the state in a reliable and efficient manner is vital to the continued success of our economy. Right. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to keep our, 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 our foot on the gas pedal and we're not going to give up until... Uh, we get this system working the way it should right. work. And, and I, know, I know you've heard you from know. frustrated constituents. And, and for me, unfortunately, I'd like to say I'm not this guy, but I am. If I was trying to get into work on time, I might give it a couple of times, and then I'm going to get frustrated and get back in my car again. And that's what I know you're trying to prevent. That's what we're trying to prevent. Yeah. Take people off the roads. Right. It, it, it's a, you know, if I can ride in on the train right. into the city, that's my preferred uh, way to go because I can get so much work done sitting on the train between Franklin and Boston, and I get a walk in from South Station to the State House. Right. It's, uh, it's so good on so many levels, and I'm not harming the environment. Jeff, thanks so much for coming in and spending time with us. I really, really enjoyed it. I want to encourage people if they have yet to see Jeff Roy's band, the name of the band is. Ben Gardner's Boat, and Jeff plays a mean rhythm guitar and also sings for the band. Really, really good time. I also want to thank you, Jeff, for your service. I have thoroughly enjoyed being a part of your campaign. I worked as a volunteer for from the beginning, from the alumni restaurant uh, all the way through the end. It was so inspiring. It was such a great process. And for anybody that hasn't done it before, highly recommend you find a candidate and find a way to get involved. Um, 
I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, Jeff. You did it with class, with dignity, with civility, and passion, and compassion, and it was just a pleasure to be a part of. Well, you know, uh, we're a government of the people, by the people, for the people, and getting people involved in government at all levels, uh, whether it be uh, through uh, a program or an initiative or a campaign, I think is vital because I think people, once they're involved, develop a deeper appreciation for the importance of government and the good things that it can do. And I was so honored and thrilled to have you as a part of the, the team and because uh, it really, really works. And uh, I appreciate everybody who gets involved. So for my guest, Jeff Roy, my name's Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters, and we'll see you next week.